This is Limitless Possibility. I'm Luc Olivier Dumeble. And I'm Yannick Magnan. And what's our topic for this week? Celebrating our 200th episode. The evolution of internet communities. Okay, so we're not celebrating our 200th episode. We're no. just having a normal topic. Yes. But before we start, you have some follow-up. Right. So my first piece of follow-up is for episode 150, All My Friends Have HomePods, which was our episode about Stadia. <laughs> Uh, since the last episode, I have upgraded, well, upgraded in air quotes, my Stadia controller to the Bluetooth controller from where I mentioned on the previous oh, episode. Crap, I forgot to do that. Yeah, well, I tried to use it uh, in an Xbox emulator to play Halo. And I mean, the, the controller itself works fine. The problem is that the Bluetooth connection does not appear to be the most reliable thing. It keeps dropping oh. out and it doesn't seem to be the emulator's fault at all. It seems to be mo- mostly on the controller side of things. And the problem is like, um, I-, I thought that Halo had checkpoints and therefore I would be fine if it died in the middle of uh, a mission because I could just reload from the checkpoint. Those checkpoints work as long as the console is on, but the second that you have to turn the console off, uh, you have to start the whole mission all over again, uh, which is not how Destiny works, which is how I assumed it would. Uh, so the problem is, like, it died in the middle of a mission twice, and the controller would not be redetected by the emulator until I relaunched the emulator. So I had to redo the entire mission like three times, and then on the third time, I was just fed up of doing the same five minutes of mission uh, over and over again. So I just gave up on playing with that. So I'll give it another try uh, with other uh, games and stuff later. But yeah, for the for the moment, uh, it's not the most reliable controller, but, you know. So it's slowly but surely getting back in track in direction for the trash can. Uh, or recycling center, I should say. I don't know about that. We'll see. Oh, okay. I'm going to try a couple other things, and if it's not reliable, I'll, it'll just be on display somewhere in my home, but I'm not going to throw it out. Uh, next piece of follow-up is for episode 198, traditional Nintendo art style non-derogatory, uh, which was the episode that we did about me being a Switch late adopter. And on that episode, I talked about uh, the scarcity of physical copies of games these days. And this morning, I heard on a podcast uh, that via a report by the UK's Competition and Markets Authority, uh, Microsoft's in- internal documentation seems to observe a drop in game purchases in the 12 months after a game is added to Game Pass, which is like not entirely surprising, to be honest, because I think a lot of people would have thought if I can just pay a subscription and get most games on the Xbox for free, uh, you sort of lose the incentive to buy games unless they are brand new and they're not launching directly onto Game Pass. Um, but that's just an additional factor that is contributing to perhaps it doesn't really make sense to be making physical copies of games anymore. And when you combine that with the prominence of Xbox Series S as the top Xbox SKU, uh, it's just pretty ominous for the survival of physical games on Xbox and the size of print runs. Um, So luckily for us on the PlayStation side, um, PlayStation Plus is still kind of... It still has a bit of weird messaging, and I don't think the uh, higher tiers of the subscription service are necessarily as popular as Game Passes. Uh, so while PS5 print runs have been revived uh, to skew a lot less towards physical copies, um, it's not quite as dire as it is on Xbox, which is a good sign for me. That's it for my follow-up. 
Now we can get into this weird-ass topic that I chose uh, that uh, Likorivia doesn't really seem to understand the nuances <laughs> of. true. Because that's every so time true. we talk about it, you're like, oh, so we're talking about this? And I'm like, not quite. I guess it's my own way to say that your topic is shitty. No, no, no. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, I've had this episode on my list of potential topics for a really, really long time, but there always was something more interesting or urgent to discuss. Um, but recently when I was acting as a social network grief counselor, uh, helping my friends through the death of Twitter, I kept having discussions that felt related to this topic. Uh, so it felt like a good time to resurrect the idea. And sort of what I realized is that due to the combination of my age and how early my family got online, I've pretty much wit I'm pretty much witnessed every major step in the evolution of online communities. Uh, and as the internet becomes a bigger part of everyone's social lives, especially since COVID happened, a lot of the social interactions we have will be shaped by how online communities are built and moderated. So what I want to do is sort of talk about the different types of community structures that have come in and out of fashion over the life of the internet and different societal behaviors and moderation-related issues that have arisen from those shifts. And I primarily want to focus on public or semi-public communities, primarily those that revolve around a given hobby or a fandom, as those are generally the ones I have the most experience with. Oh, right. Now I remember. It's the episode where I complained about forums all the time. Well, good for you. The first thing I want to talk about is isolated disparate communities, also known as BBS's mailing lists and forums. Ooh. So, uh... So just before I actually get into that, I have four types of uh, communities that I'm going to go through, uh, and we're going to go in semi-chronological order uh, so that we can go through more or less like before 2007, after 2007, and then get towards modern day. Um, so yeah, th that first sort of era of communities online is isolated, disparate communities. It was the predominant way of socializing with groups of people online until about 2007 when Twitter blew up. Uh, there were tons of communities of all sizes, big and small, around every topic imaginable. And they were all administered by their own admins and mods and hosted independently. Um, forums are my favorite of the three, uh, that I mentioned, uh, BBS is like, I was very young when we used BBSs, but I do remember them. Uh, the Club Mac in Quebec city, uh, had one called snaps that you connected to with a really cool client called first class. And uh, that those memories are burned into my mind because it was like pre internet and it was really cool, uh, for me, but I never really used that to interact with other people much because I was like four years old. I couldn't really type anything or write sentences um so it was mostly just seeing the cool things that my dad was doing on there and downloading files yeah i'm a bit surprised that you bring up bbs because it's literally not of our generation and so but i mean i i have the memories of being yeah, yeah, there yeah. for it like i said i witnessed it i didn't necessarily use it uh, myself uh and i think there's a lot of overlap in the functionality of bbs's mailing lists and forums that make it it's worth mentioning it even though very little of this section is actually going to touch on the specifics of using a bbs <laughs> forums are really the standout here that i'm going to talk about because of course it's the one i have the most experience with and what i really appreciate about them is they're really good at encouraging longer form thought out discussion of various topics and 
uh, between like 2009 and 2012, I sort of took a couple of years off of forums uh, because I was very heavily involved in uh, the VJ Army and later what became the uh, Solid State Squad forums, which were was really like my hangout place for talking with other music game nerds on the internet from around 2005 to 2009-ish. Um, and then when Twitter came out, like I could talk to the same people with... A, in a much more convenient way throughout the day and not really have to go to a destination to talk about things. And I sort of lost the habit of checking the forum. But then in uh, 2012, I returned to forums. It was a different forum, but I returned to using forums. And that's when I really appreciated that it's really good to have a place where you can discuss things with other cool people in more than 140 characters at the time or 280 characters nowadays. Um, you really appreciate it when you go back there uh, from a world where that isn't really a common thing you do. Uh, and I I still use forums a lot to this day. Uh, I mean, technically, I've been on a select button now for over 10 years, and I check it basically every day. Uh, and a lot of my best friends these days are uh, from select button. So it's definitely a big social outlet in my life. Um, but I frequently hear two main criticisms about forums. And I'm guessing they probably overlap with yours, but we'll see. Uh, so the first one is they are bad repositories for information long term. Amen. Amen. Yeah, and I, I totally agree with this. Uh, forums definitely had an era when they were the primary way people were going to handle collaborative information storage. And I think as soon as people discovered wikis in the early 2000s, <laughs> people should have stopped using forums for that because it sucks. Uh, wikis definitely became the dominant way of collaboratively cataloging information uh, after the like Wikipedia really blew up and other wikis and stuff like that. And there are a number of issues with wikis uh, as they exist today, namely that fandom is a terrible company and basically they bought every wiki and ruined it with tons of ads and janky layout. Um, but that's a separate issue. Uh, but the general idea that you should be using a wiki or at least like some sort of website to catalog your information instead of forum threads, like I definitely agree with this. I'm also going to say forum threads definitely are not as bad as the current trend of using Discord chats for storing information because that is complete shit. Um, but that is also another podcast, although we will be talking about Discord a little bit later on. Yeah, I would assume it come later later on in this episode too. Yeah. Uh, the second main criticism that I've heard a lot, and I've been hearing a lot of this recently, which surprised me, is that forums are cliquish and hard to get into. Uh, with forums, you're joining an existing social circle of people mm. who are used to talking with each other. And I surprisingly maybe don't think this is a problem uh generally you can lurk on the forum and read posts for a long time anonymously before engaging with it to get a good idea what the forum culture is uh i personally lurked on select button a full year before i ever posted anything uh because so sort of the the context i had picked up from uh from lurking on the forum for a while is that most of these existing users ha had come up, uh, come over from the insert credit forums after those forums demise, and they had known each other for a really, really long time. So I felt like I had some sort of homework or studying to do to get a sense for who these people are and what they expected of each other before I could actively participate 
and not feel completely uh, left out of the context. And once I actually did start posting, people welcomed me and were very surprised to see a new user on the forum because it was definitely not as frequent in 2012 when I joined as it is today. Uh, today we get a lot more uh, new users uh, to the forum. But yeah, like forums generally have a pretty limited number of regular visitors. I think generally it's somewhere around the ballpark of like 20 to 30 people who actually check daily. So it can be a lot more comfortable for people like myself to engage with a much smaller crowd than it is to engage with the masses on centralized social networks. The main issue, though, is that if you want to use forearms today, uh, forums have been so unpopular for so long that your likelihood to find one that is exactly what you are looking for in a forum is much, much lower than it was in the early 2000s. Uh, part of that is because people nowadays have never engaged with forums so they don't really know what they're missing or don't even consider it to be an option when they're starting a new community part of that is because setting up modern forum software is much more demanding and complicated as it used to be in the early 2000s when you would just upload a folder into a direct uh yeah upload a folder into another directory on your ftp site and you just go to a URL and it would just set itself up. Uh, nowadays, a lot of the modern forums that are like, put this Docker container somewhere and <laughs> pay a lot of money to host it. And like, it's a, a lot less accessible than it used to be. And I think maybe in the defense of forum software, I think this is a general trend in web development yes, in general, web tools, I should say. Like, Having an um, e-commerce website is not easy as it used to be. Uh, things, uh, I mean, blogs, things like that. Like you, you need, you need either need to spend a lot of time or pay a certain level of money to somebody to have something easy to use. WordPress is still the standard for blogs, unfortunately, in a lot of ways. Um, but one of the things WordPress has going for it is it is an old school PHP application, which means you put the thing into an FTP folder and you go to the URL and it sets itself up like old forums do because it's from right. that era. Um, but there's a lot of other newer platforms that try to do that differently. For blogs, not so much because blogs are also kind of not in fashion right now so a lot of the yeah. things that are in fashion for blogs are statically generated and therefore don't aren't really as complicated to deploy as you would think but but still i i think you mentioned the only example that breaks the rule uh nowadays because the rest is either uh commercial software uh we can talk about let's not name them but the one that starts with an s that is sponsoring all the podcasts all the video the youtube videos, all that that again nothing against them it's just that they are everywhere uh <coughs> squarespace <coughs> uh oh, and... i wasn't thinking of that one i was actually thinking of shopify which i thought you weren't mentioning because they're a competitor of yours but... oh no 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 no. I, I was more thinking into the general like web presence yeah. uh, s space um uh, and but yeah, there are your example is also another a commercial product, and and that's what I had in mind is a lot of them e either you need to nerd out and figure out and then install Docker and things like that, or you need to just pay, I guess seven dollars per month and voila, it's super simple to use. So yeah, it's it's the landscape is a bit more muddy than it used to be. Mm -hmm. And then if you're looking for forums that already exist on the internet, well, unfortunately, a lot of the forums that used to exist have shut down because people have stopped going to them or 
they didn't want to maintain PHP BB installs from 20 years ago or whatever. Uh, so there are just a lot fewer forums online than there used to be. Uh, and yeah, it's just less of a viable option. But as with basically anything on the web, the option never really goes away. Someone just has to have the willpower to make it happen and it can come back because that's how the web works. Nothing ever really dies on the web. Uh, so I think people, people should give forums a shot again, because I think they're not as bad as people remember. And I think they have a lot of value that a lot of people just never realized or because they were too afraid to engage with them. I don't want to transform, uh, this episode into, uh, how to build a PHP BB forum and things <laughs> like that. But are the, those tools that you would use that are still around to build uh, a forum kind of I don't want to say modernized, but let's say more secured, because again, the security and privacy landscape of today is not what it used to be 20 years ago. Uh, honestly, I would have to look more into it. Uh, I think like, for the most part, the older uh, options like PHP VB, uh, Envision PowerBoard, VBolton, like all of those pieces of software, mm -hmm. I think all of them still exist. I think a lot of them just by virtue of having been around for a very long time, uh, have inherited a lot of security features over the years. Although, like, it's always questionable, like, what your standard of security and privacy is for something that is largely published in public, right? Right. So it's like, I, I'm not sure exactly what you're asking. <laughs> um. Again, uh, I, I'm... The the point I was more trying to make here is that it is a more conscious product decision or product like our architecture decision to be careful of security loophole and things like that or privacy loopholes oh, yeah, in yeah. product like, yeah, than yeah, it yeah. used to be twenty years ago, which would then impact those old products that used to be designed that were architected twenty years ago and are still around. Yeah, definitely. Like the the other uh notion there is i think phpbb is the only one of those three that was completely open source and freely available ipb and vbulletin became paid products quite a long time ago like at least 15 years ago so like those have full staffs of people who are uh, mm. maintaining those security uh holes i'm i'm honestly i it's been so long since i've seen a modern phpbb install that i <laughs> don't know what the deal is with them and of course there are new forms uh pieces of software uh discourse is particularly a popular one which used to run uh well i i think it's derivative of the stack overflow forums i believe oh yeah isn't it the one that runs the new swift forums yes uh, yeah, yeah. So this one is nice. Discourse is what a uh, select button runs on, and there's another piece of software, but I don't remember the name, which is like another modern competitor to Discourse that I believe is completely open source. It's just a little weird. Uh, I don't really like it as much, but I can't remember the name off the top of my head. So then, in 2007, Twitter comes along, and then we move into the new era, which is the centralized social network. Uh, and my three examples for the centralized social networks, although there are more than that, but I think the three that are most relevant to the context of this episode are going to be Twitter, Tumblr, and more recently, Cohost. Uh, I want to stress that just because I am lumping in Twitter and Tumblr in the same model, because they 
are centralized social networks and therefore they are the same model does not mean that they are equivalent services. They serve very different tasks and they have very conscious uh, differences in the content restrictions and their UI that make them very different experiences that cater to very different kinds of people. Uh, Anyone who knew me on Twitter knows that I didn't get to 100,000 tweets by just using a website I didn't like. I was very much into Twitter until Elon Musk showed up. Uh, Never been really into Tumblr, and we'll discuss that later. Uh, Completely different mentality and use case. And uh, just because they're in the same category, they're not equivalent. The way centralized social networks change communities is super interesting to me because you have a lot less of a sense of small communities because centralized social networks make everyone a part of one big community that is subdivided into clusters of people who follow or interact with each other frequently. Uh, There were numerous times throughout Twitter's lifetime, uh, these little meme apps that people were installing that would graph out, like, who are the people you're best friends with on Twitter? And if you were to uh, do this kind of exercise to the entire uh, Twitter network, you, well, first of all, it would be a massive data set and the machine would probably crash. But the other thing is uh, you would see that we are all connected through numerous nodes. It's just that uh, we're all in little pockets, uh, mostly grouped by interest uh, around the network. Uh, but you can still get peaks outside of your clusters of friends and acquaintances into the greater community. Uh, that's what retweets, uh, Tumblr shares, and to some degree, algorithmic recommendations do. Um And because you're no longer in a small community, but you are now in a one big community, uh, unless you have a private account, you're always performing in public. Uh, Anybody can invite themselves into an ongoing conversation with very little friction, leading to the much reviled reply guys. Uh, Stating unpopular opinions in public can cause you to get dogpiled by strangers if the wrong person finds it and amplifies it to their audience. Uh, the more popular you get, the more uh, the likelier this is to happen to you. And the more popular you get, the less human you're allowed to be because your screw-ups will be judged much more harshly than if someone with like two followers uh, screws up in public. A lot of the downsides of public performance on these platforms can be mitigated with private accounts. So you can interact solely with a small amount of trusted friends and acquaintances. You still get to consume everything else that is public on your network. And it's definitely a good option if you want to interact with an existing social circle, but it limits your ability to grow beyond that circle if that is something you're interested in. Also, from an economical level, if everyone on Twitter had a private account, it would not be a viable business. Uh, So they have like some incentive to try to not let you be completely private. The moderation strategy is also completely different. Moderation is only applied at the platform level. This means if someone breaks the Twitter TOS and is reported enough times, they may be banned. Uh, if someone acts in repulsive ways through towards members of our communities and does so without breaking the Twitter TOS, all we can really do on our end is block them. Uh, and unfortunately, in the last decade, I've had to deal with two different occasions where actual, no exaggeration, literal psychopaths abused and tormented some of my friends, and we can block them and we can stop engaging with them. But we can't do much to prevent them from preying on others in the periphery and causing more harm elsewhere. And in the forum days, we could ban this person and at least keep others in our island of the fandom safe, or maybe reach out to moderators in other forums that we're friendly with to prevent the harm from spreading elsewhere. 
But this is a lot harder to scale on Twitter because there are much more individuals to warn than there would be moderators of forums to warn. And this becomes incredibly tiring to try and do the right thing and uh, prevent this harm from spreading on Twitter. Um, And it really is an issue that you don't really have a good option to deal with. It's much more like living in society with other problematic people and trying to prevent those people from getting away with abuse uh, than it is uh, being in a social space where you can actually outcast someone from it because someone is in charge. Moderation is art, and there's a say from Nilay Patel from The Verge. He always mentioned that every time he talks about social network in his uh, Decoder podcast, is that social network companies, their main product is moderation. Whether they like it or not, that's what they have to produce in the end. Yeah, and I think, not to get ahead of ourselves, but when uh, the Fediverse and Mastodon became more popular uh, within Apple circles, there was definitely like this... uh, this outcry that like don't run an instance if you're not actually willing to put in the work to moderate it properly uh because you will eventually like get overwhelmed by the amount of work that it is to actually do that uh and we will talk about that uh in the mastodon section because there is some crazy shit going on with moderation sometimes uh, I, I want to have a brief aside on Tumblr as a social network because I think for some of us who were around Tumblr in, it, in its early days, uh, it's never really registered as a social network. Uh, but the Zoomers, you can't can't leave anything to them. They'll turn anything into a social network. They'll turn a box of spaghetti into a social network. Uh, when I first joined Tumblr, it was meant to be a platform for hosting Tumble logs, which were a minimalist, multimedia-focused take on a blog from the mid-2000s. And when they added the reblog feature to Tumblr, the platform took a significant shift into becoming more of a social platform. Uh, reblogs are kind of like quote tweets, where they would kind of quote they they would show uh, the parent post as a sort of nested quote on top of your post, like emails. And I really didn't like how that was presented. Uh, so I just didn't use them on my personal blog. And then I found out that people got mad if you linked to their blog post instead of using the native reblog functionality because they didn't get like the number plus one uh, that they would get from a reblog and they would just get pissy about it. And I mostly lost interest because I kept feeling like everyone was telling me I was using Tumblr wrong. And I had no interest in using Tumblr as it was now intended in giant air quotes. Um, and <laughs> this leads to another sort of uh, behavior I noticed, which also pissed me off. And this is tag policing. Do you know what tag policing is on Tumblr? The the name sounds familiar, but maybe when you'll describe it, I'll know. But right, right on top of my head right now, no. Okay, so Tumblr added tags so you could... Uh, tag your posts in your blog, and you could find other posts with the same tag. However, instead of limiting tag searches to just the blog that you were looking at, it would search all of the blogs on Tumblr. Okay, so let's say, for example, I write something about my own car, so I will post, use the tag cars, for example. Yeah, so if you clicked on the cars tag, you would see every car on Tumblr, uh, every post tagged with cars on Tumblr, and mm. you could register uh you sorry you could subscribe to tags and the tumblr dashboard and monitor your favorite topic so you could say i want to mm. s- sign up to hashtag cars and uh you would see it would just show up as if you subscribe to a blog that would just post every post with cars right right 
then sort of people took it one level uh, further with browser extensions that were quite popular that allowed you to apply additional fi filters. So for example, if you're subscribed to the Danganronpa tag, you may actually want to filter out uh, posts that contain the spoilers tag so that you don't actually see uh, Danganronpa posts that contain spoilers. Uh, so this became a fairly common use pattern for people younger than me. Uh, and that is just how people were using tags on Tumblr. And tag policing is the practice of getting angry at people who tag their posts in a way you disagree with because you didn't want to see that oh tag goodness. in your dashboard. Oh, of course. In oh. old Tumblr, like before the reblog days when the kids were using it, uh, the expectation was, I am tagging things on my blog, therefore it is my choice how I choose to use those tags, and I will use them however they make sense for me, because that is the point of tags on a blog. In new Tumblr, if you didn't adhere to a bunch of unwritten rules about how the majority of people like the tag to be uh, to be filled with content, you would get into arguments with it with strange uh, about it with strangers. Uh, so I largely did not use tags when I used Tumblr because there was only downside to using them. I didn't make enough uh, posts that had some sort of common element that I wanted to be able to find them easily. So if I just put tags on my Tumblr posts, it would just cause drama, and I don't want that shit. So I didn't use it. Um, but that is something that happened on Tumblr, and I eventually did see, start seeing it for uh, Twitter hashtags as well. Now, luckily, I've never really been hot on Twitter hashtags. I think they make everything ugly, uh, but that's definitely a thing. Uh, if you look far enough, you can just get called out for using the tags wrong, and it's like, well, that's not how tags work. So yeah, uh, and then before we end up on uh, centralized social networks, I do want to have a brief aside on co-host because co-host is essentially just early 2010s Tumblr reborn in a lot of ways. And is like I'm actually using it, but I don't particularly enjoy posting to it a lot. It makes as little sense to me as Tumblr did back then. But I enjoy it so much as a reader. Uh, a lot of the people who shifted over to co-host during the, uh, following the demise of Twitter are really cool and smart people. So it's kind of like a cafe or a bar where all the cool people are at. The food is great and everything, but the seating is really uncomfortable. <laughs> but like, that's the downside. So you sort of live with it. Yeah, so yeah, I'm not a heavy poster on co-host. I uh, pretty much only post like uh, podcast notifications and uh, video notifications and the occasional photo. Uh, like I don't really post Instagram anymore. I post my photos to co-host because it's a nicer place to do it. But that's about it. Generally, I try to uh, post my content on uh, places I personally control uh, as much as possible. And I just link to that from co-host uh, instead of posting directly there because I don't really feel like it's the greatest idea to put all of your eggs in uh, other people's baskets these days. All right. Now that we've talked about centralized social networks, let's talk about centralized community platforms, which is a sort of a distinction. Uh, so mm -hmm. my, my two examples here are going to be Discord and Reddit. Um. And the, the distinction with centralized community platforms is these are platforms that allow uh, separate communities to be formed under it. And 
the other distinction is that they have two tiers of moderation. They have a community level of moderation and a platform level of moderation. So individual Discord servers and subreddits have their own moderators, which can take action within that scope, very similar to forums. And then platform moderators are there to deal with abuse that spans multiple servers uh, or direct messages in some cases and illegal behavior or breaking platform TOS. One of the behaviors you see on Discord and Reddit, and I honestly don't know where it came from, it's really strange, is the desire to be the canonical community. And what that, what I mean by this is it was very rare in the forum era to see someone claim to be the home of like the almost the official or the canonical home of a given community or name itself directly after its topic. Forums would mostly like have a neutral name or uh, a name that is that makes a reference to their topic. They would not be as blatant as uh, subreddits and Discord servers are. Where they just call themselves the XYZ subreddit, the XYZ Discord server. Like back in the day, you would take a name of something and then just call yourself a forum for fans of XYZ. But you are not the forum for fans of XYZ. You are a forum for fans of XYZ. And I think that's really important. Uh, some game subreddits and Discord servers are administered and moderated by the game's creators. Some are just moderated, uh, sorry, maintained by fans. And there's no consistency in when this is the case on these platforms. Uh, just because a platform is accepted as the canonical community on one of these platforms does not mean it's necessarily official, even if they call themselves official. Um, and because more and more of these communities on these platforms rarely have distinct or memorable names, it can be very hard to find a specific community that a friend is mentioning. If someone says they had a good time in the Destiny Discord server, and these are real examples that I took from the from the Discord directory, so you you know I'm not making this shit up. Do they mean the one that's called Destiny? Do they mean the one that's called Destiny 2? Do they mean the one that's called <laughs> Destiny 2 Community Discord or the other one called Destiny 2 because there is no duplicate names clause? Without an invite URL, you can't disambiguate all of these communities that are all competing to become the canonical community. And like, even if you take the one with the highest user count, you aren't necessarily sure that that's the one your friend was talking about, right? Um, another weird nuance is that uh, communities that tried to aim to be canonical usually end up being very casual focused and can give an incorrect or skewed perspective on the complete experience. And my example here is going to be Overwatch. So Overwatch is a competitive team-based first-person shooter with memorable character designs and personality traits. And most of the Overwatch subreddit is made up of memes about the characters and funny gameplay cl clips because that's what the bulk of the player base of any game uh, is likely to want because the bulk of the player base of any game is tends to be casual players. And that's the kind of content that casual players want to see. Casual players don't really care about learning how to improve the game or discussing competitive play. Uh, so if you are someone who is interested in getting better at Overwatch and discussing Overwatch esports, you're very quickly going to become disappointed with the official, well, official in air quotes, uh, Overwatch subreddit, because that's not what the majority of the audience wants to see. And therefore, all of that stuff will get buried and not get upvoted enough. So oftentimes, even though like, ooh, we have become the official or canonical community, people who actually want to discuss anything more than the most surface level things will have to look for sub-communities anyway, uh, which is an interesting thing. And like for Overwatch, there's the competitive Overwatch subreddit, which literally handles like, do you want, do you care about Overwatch's gameplay? Yes or no? Uh, that is where you have to go because 
otherwise you're just going to have haha funny monkey clips um so that's sort of uh a, a, a result of that so the last type i want to talk about should not surprise anyone who has been on the internet for the last few months is the federated social network and of course i'm talking about uh the fediverse which uh a lot of people use mastodon to refer to the fediverse but mastodon is just a piece of software that can talk to the fediverse uh also, it kind of overlaps with Usenet a little bit, but not entirely. Um, so uh, federated social networks are a combination of the disparate community model that we talked about, which is kind of the forums thing, and the centralized social network model, which is kind of the Twitter thing. There is one social network, the Fediverse. The social network is made up of multiple servers, which are known as instances. Each instance has one or more users, which are addressed. Uh, so as we mentioned at the end of the show, like I'm at Sakarina at icosahedron.website, which is my address on the Fediverse. Instances hey, can we're, we're not in the outro yet. I know. Uh, instances can communicate with each other over a common protocol, which is ActivityPub. And when you think about it for like two seconds, it behaves essentially like email does. Email providers have one or more users with an email address that identifies a user uniquely at a domain. And email can be sent between various email providers because they speak a common language, which is SMTP. But fundamentally, it is still one big network. And this means that it inherits a lot of the issues with Twitter and other centralized social networks. The only distinction here is that it is managed collectively by instance admins instead of by Twitter leadership. A lot of people thought that going to the Fediverse would be an escape from reply guys and dogpiling. As a lot of people are discovering uh, recently, it isn't. If you're popular on the Fediverse, you're just as open to the same kinds of social annoyances as you were open to on Twitter. And actually, people on the Fediverse tend to be more engaged with the service on average, so you might even see more, even though you have less followers. How does moderation work on the Fediverse? Well, each instance is responsible for moderating its own users' posts. So moderators can watch the instance's local timeline to see all public posts that are made by its users and take action if necessary. Each instance is also responsible for cutting off federation with instances they deem to be problematic. And what defederation means is if instance A defederates from instance B, people on either instance will not be able to interact or follow with any other people on the other instance. Posts can be reported to moderators across instances. So if I'm on instance B and I see a po post on instance A that I want to notify those moderators about, I can report it to them straight from within the software and they'll see it show up in their mod dashboard. On paper, this does not sound like a terrible moderation model. In fact, it kind of sounds reasonable. Unfortunately, in the real world, humans will find a way to fuck it up every single time. <laughs> I was waiting for that statement. Yeah, so I'm going to give a few examples uh, from the recent past. And by recent past, I mean literally the last month. Um, so I'm going to start off with uh, infosec.exchange. A few officials from the Cybersecurity Information Sharing Act cybersecurity bill in the U.S. government became members of this instance, infosec.exchange, which was a quite popular instance for uh, people in the cybersecurity space, lots of hackers and researchers and all that stuff wound up there. What ended up happening is many instances with anti-governmental stances decided to block the whole instance because of them allowing these government officials to use their instance and have an account. And of course, this quickly became an issue because Mastodon is nerdier on average than Twitter. 
And many people follow cybersecurity researchers and hackers on that instance that suddenly disappeared from their timeline. And people were wondering what was going on and why they couldn't reach their friends anymore. And the answer was because politics. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Um, So I think a lot of people realized that they overreacted and undid this quite quickly. Um, But it was still something that happened and it just demonstrates sort of the kind of issue that can happen uh, with these things is you are basically always at the mercy of the decisions that your instance administrator does. And if you don't agree 100% with their things, you can actually lose contact with people you would actually like to remain in contact with. And that is one of the scariest things about the Fediverse because there isn't really a good solution to it other than running your own instance in a lot of ways. And I don't think that's a scalable solution for a lot of things. And it's also very technically challenging, like we talked about with running modern forms earlier, like running a Mastodon instance is even more complicated than that in many ways uh, because it has so many moving parts. So that's example number one. Example number two is the Hogwarts Legacy drama. So people who were posting about playing Hogwarts Legacy on the Fediverse were being reported to their instances as being transphobes and anti-Semites by the administrator of another instance, which I'm not going to name, with the threat of defederating if those users were not banned. Now, to be perfectly clear, as an ex-Kanye fan, I really (laughs) wish people would stop supporting the Harry Potter franchise and J.K. Rowling's work, uh, especially since she has publicly admitted that she considers any support of her work to be implicit support of her politics, and she funnels that money to fund anti-transgender initiatives anyway. Uh, It's pretty appalling to me that people would actually choose to stand by universal fictional characters instead of the human rights of trans people, and I hope the people that are doing so at the very least feel some level of guilt or uh, feel very conflicted about it. Uh, at the minimum. Uh, I mean, the case can pretty much be made that anything we buy under capitalism supports somebody's shitty politics at the end of the day because you usually don't become the head of a multinational corporation by applying good morals and treating people correctly. Um, But the main difference here is that this is entertainment. It's optional fluff, and there is plenty of other entertainment that can fill your time that doesn't directly contribute to harming trans people in the process. Uh, And trust me, if you give up Harry Potter, you're not going to be looking very long time to find something that can take its place in your schedule. Um, So now that that diversion is dealt with, uh, if you're running your own community like a forum, I have no issue with you uh, applying rules and politics to moderate how you choose, because that is your little private community and you can run it however you want, just like I can run mine however I want. If you are doing what the Fediverse is doing, and you're essentially running a node in a communication network, which is what I consider a Mastodon instance to be in the context of the greater Fediverse, you almost can't apply as aggressive a moderation strategy because any action that you take will cut off some users from other users in the process, even if neither one of those users did anything wrong. And it directly hurts the usability of the Fediverse as a system as a whole. And because people are allowed to moderate like this, each instance gives you access to a different subset of the Fediverse. And my fear, and a fear that uh, Richard mentioned to me before joining the Fediverse, and then this happened like literally weeks later, um, is that as more and more of these incidents happen over time, it may become harder and harder to find a single instance you can hang out on that gives you access to everyone you want 
to keep up with. Uh, and other people on my timeline have mentioned, like, maybe I just need multiple accounts. And it's like, well, you shouldn't need multiple accounts to follow everyone you want to follow. But it's becoming trickier to do so on a single instance if you don't run your own. And that's really the conclusion here is ultimately, if you want full control over the instances you can and can't access, the only real fallback you have is run your own instance, which can be a lot of pain for a lot of technical reasons that are outside the scope of this episode. Let's say you try to run one of those instances yourself. Moderation is a lot of work if you don't actively keep up with things, especially on small instances. So a lot of instance administrators resort to automated blacklists, such as, uh, I mean, there are a bunch of them that call themselves FettyBlock, and there is a hashtag, <laughs> hashtag FettyBlock, which is basically where everyone posts whatever offensive thing they saw uh, today. And ultimately, if you rely on any automated blacklist, it opens you up to exactly the same issues I just mentioned. You have to trust the person who manages that list to make reasonable decisions you agree with. And just because all of the decisions they've made up to date have been reasonable does not mean that tomorrow they, will bonk, they won't bonk their head somewhere and make an unreasonable one and you have to pay the price for that. Um, something I have seen uh, while doing research for this episode that I think is really smart is some people have made systems that analyze multiple block lists and try to only block things that have a minimum level of consensus to minimize the risk of any one list causing things to disappear out of nowhere uh, for random reasons. Um, that is definitely a way better uh, approach to this uh, by, by my book. Um, now, naturally, like there's this drama is like five dimensional chess. Uh, there are definitely people who are like, I'm going to defederate from your instance because you won't defederate from this instance, which I deem to be problematic. And therefore, of course, it, yeah, it, it's, every stupid thing you could imagine could happen probably has happened with drama involving defederation on uh, the Fediverse up to date. Um, but of course, like I, they're going to find some new way to stir up some drama. Um, but this is all happening while we're on the Fediverse. And for the most part, like n none of this has directly impacted me so far, but it has impacted some of my friends uh, who have uh, more of an existing social circle on a bunch of different instances. Uh, for the most part, a lot of my friends have not migrated over, which is kind of unfortunate, but there you go. So that's sort of what's going on in the Fediverse world uh, these days. And that's about all I had to say. Um, all of these different types of communities that I've listed have coexisted for quite a while. Um, and I think, ultimately, I don't think any one of these will ever... Like, all of these will come in and out of fashion, probably in a cyclical nature, because that is generally how these kinds of things happen to go. Um, but I think it is not necessarily a bad idea for people to be aware of these different structures and the uh, behaviors they enable, and maybe try to diversify a little bit, have a little bit of activity in each one, just to just to get a sense for what these different uh, communities are like, and not to put all your eggs in a single basket. Uh, that's definitely the thing that we learned with Twitter imploding, in the last few months is a lot of people like their entire social life existed on Twitter. And I think that is mostly true for myself as well. Um, but 
since I had stuff going on in forums and I had stuff stuff going on in Discord, but I have a lot of stuff going on in Discord that I wish wasn't wasn't in Discord, but that's another topic. It, it made it a lot easier for me to switch to uh, the Fediverse than if I had absolutely nothing else going on elsewhere, because I can still be contacting in contact with other people uh, through those other means. And I don't just lose my friends overnight, which is kind of what's happening with uh, my Japanese Twitter account to some degree is Japan is largely immune from, uh, well, immune is not true. They they are definitely impacted by uh, the Elon's decisions and stuff like that. But they are not necessarily as conscious about it because they live in a weird media bubble where the news just doesn't get to them that this is happening. And it really sucks because I I sort of haven't logged into Twitter, into that Twitter account for like a couple months now. And I have no idea what my friends in Japan are doing, really. Um, so that sucks. I had less of a, a, a finger in every pie on the Japanese side of things, whereas I did on the English side of things. And maybe I should have, although... They have a completely different uh, community landscape over there that is completely different from ours because the society is completely different. Uh, so how did you find the topic? Did you think that it was what you thought it was going to be or that it wasn't? Or <laughs> No, no, no that, that's fine. I, I think I, I found my comments, though, uh, off offline were kind of trolling, but uh, I kind of knew you were going into like the, the places of that. Um, it's kind of funny with all the descriptions of the new ones that you mentioned that it kind of they all boils down to going back to forums as a solution because while it is a public space it's a small place you end up controlling and i think that's kind of what the Fediverse wants to be and not at the same time is that if you want to have your own space there you can go there but if you want to have access to the broader Fediverse, you can be federated, and that's kind of trying to be in both worlds at the same time. And that's maybe my main worry about how that system will pan out. Is it seems that you can either be a centralized product or a decentralized product, and kind of have, uh, being half of both at the same time uh, might be more problem uh, than the, it is worth. Uh, pursuing let's put it this way so i'm eager to see how it will evolve but no i agree with you it's um it has been interesting for years trying to find those small communities and things i really enjoy especially when they are uh both more geographically close to where i live versus some of the communities you've mentioned uh, because it does greatly impact the tech decision of what tool it is used uh, and i've mentioned multiple times in our line uh, private room how much i despise facebook groups mm -hmm. but it is pretty popular here and i would say in general for like maybe non-tech people or yeah for maybe <laughs> everybody and nobody i'm trying to find a generic term of say like you you want to reach as much people as you want. Uh, I've kind of I have an open community where somebody says, "Oh, I want to join," but and they just say, "Hey, I want to join." It's like, do you have a Facebook? Like, sadly, at this point in our lives, it, more than not, the answer will be, "Yeah, I do have a Facebook account." So then it means that the group might be private, but it's easy to add new members to it with 
limited downsides and that's putting a big asterisk at the end ignoring the facebook downside um so that's something i'm struggling because in the end like facebook as a tool for groups is not ideal because in the end what uh, i see is people posting links people having general discussions about uh, things like that i also see a lot of like people arguing which is sad uh sometimes funny most of the time sad <laughs> uh so even in closed groups you still have problems of uh what was the, the the expression was it public town square that they were using as a comparison for twitter that's what they wanted to yeah. compare it to uh, a physical word equivalent uh it's kind of weird it's like everybody goes to the cafe to talk about let's say cars uh and then you end up with certain people like just trying to troll others or just being having really bad opinions and they just like own it and it kind of like poison a bit uh that group so yeah in the end my close my personal experience on a lot of those online communities is nowadays it's pretty hard to find your spot Mm -hmm. Uh, it seems that everybody is scattered everywhere and i really don't like in the end your suggestions of having a foot in everything um and i think the reason i say that is because it in the end means more work if you have to through check like three thousand websites uh three thousand social networks during the day just to catch up on things you like it more or less become a full-time job just to do that uh and I think it echoes a lot of the comments I've made in the recent year or two on this podcast about kind of like, hey, I want to not limit, but I want to dedicate a certain amount of time during the day for that and not just have it consume my evenings. Uh, so the more I add services, uh, the more I realize that, oh, yeah, yet another service. I need to go spend five minutes to catch up on what my online friends are doing or uh, things like that. One of the things that comes up for me is I don't want to be in a situation where we find ourselves like five, ten years down the line and we have another giant like Twitter that is getting taken over by some doofus who is going to ruminate into the ground. And then we repeat this cycle indefinitely. And that's sort of the danger with uh, centralized services and especially putting all of your eggs into a single social network that becomes the dominant social network for everyone is you're just going to be back in this situation again, unless it's a federated service uh, like the Fediverse that wins out in the end. For a bunch of reasons, not in, not limited to the ones with uh, the drama around defederation and all of that stuff. I think the Fediverse is likely to stay relatively niche, all things considered, mm-hmm. because there's too many moving parts for normal people. I think yeah, it's going to be great a, for nerdy people. It's going to be too much for normal people, especially if drama intensifies. <laughs> Right, and I think that part reminds me of forums. Like, forums were simple enough while complex enough for non-nerds or non-dedicated fans of a certain genre, topic whatsoever to 
do the work to figure it out. Like they were just complex enough, and I don't think I would put them on the same scale of just figure out which instance you want to choose. Let's be honest, but they're still not that easy, and that's that's what is hard to compete against when you have centralization. It's so simple. Yeah, no, centralization is definitely simple. I, I agree with that. Like I, I, like I've never been sold on the Fediverse concept. I and th- that's sort of something I have to work with. Is I want the Fediverse to win because I think from a preventing another Twitter catastrophe from happening thing, that is the only solution that can work. But the problem is, it's not at a level of user friendliness and a level of. At a level where everyone who is implicated in the survival of the Fediverse is at a level of maturity where they realize that they are running a node in a communication network where they are not going to fuck it up with their politics and drama. Right. And at the same time, like, I do respect, like, people are, like, that's also the point of the Fediverse is to give instances the power to moderate their own stuff. But it's just we're seeing the effects of that if you take it too far. And that's always the problem. The problem is always that people take it too far. (laughs) If everyone was being reasonable, there wouldn't be any problem. Okay, but for a sec, let me be philosophical philosophical for today. And But I don't think we we could be considered human if people wouldn't be pushing limits on any meaning of that sentence. Oh, definitely. So, yeah, okay. Closing this uh, philosophical parenthesis. So uh, if I look at the the examples I gave, like I'm on forums, I'm on co-host, I'm on, right. uh, well, I'm not on Twitter anymore. Um, <laughs> I'm on the Fediverse and I'm on Discord and Reddit, a lot less on Reddit than on Discord, honestly, and not necessarily out of choice. And honestly, like the, the communities I appreciate the most in all of these are generally the smallest ones. Uh, like Select Button is a fairly small community of like, like I said, like I think there were like 30 or 20 or 30 regulars. Uh, basically, everyone who goes to the annual meetup and like maybe 10 other people who don't go, <laughs> including mm-hmm. myself. Um, <laughs> there's uh, like on Discord. I basically only read one server that has six people who are active in it because I can't keep up with anything else. Uh, right. it, it is such a fucking burden to be on Discord. Honestly, I swear to God, I just want to delete that fucking app. And maybe we, before we go forward, I, I think the the crux of what you're saying for me on Discord is it just becomes, like to echo what I say about it becomes a, a part-time job. It's literally that. Like Just keeping up on this is no longer fun because... There's too much content. Well, it's not just that there's too much content. Is that everyone assumes that they need like 15 channels in their server. And I'm in like, I think I'm in 20-ish servers or something. One of the servers I am in, and it makes sense for their use case, but it still sucks, is running up against the 500 channel limit. Wow. And we have to use Discord threads because we can't create more channels, uh, (laughs) which is fucking insane um so like yes there are definitely like issues with the scalability of discord and all that stuff and having all of your friends having a server with like 15 channels that they all think are going to be worth checking out instead of back in the day when a community had one irc channel and you were going to be in maybe five irc channels tops 
like right now, if you're in a single Discord server, you probably have more channels than you ever had if you ever used IRC before. And like, it's that it's too many inboxes. And that's mm-hmm. the thing is I can handle. That, that's I can so handle. Yeah, it's exactly what you were talking about, right? Yeah, exactly. That's sorry for the interruption, but that's what I meant is literally the volume of content is I don't want to have 10,000 inboxes to check every day. Exactly. And the thing is, I have four inboxes. Mm. I don't have a billion inboxes. I have four inboxes. And like, that's the thing you need to take into consideration. I am on one forum. I am active in one Discord server and I am on the Fediverse and on co-host. So I have four inboxes. Those are my main hangouts right now on the web. And for me, that is not a daunting task. But if you were in a bunch of servers with 15 channels and all that stuff, and you actually wanted to keep up, good luck, because you're not going to be able to. Uh, And of course, like it, it all has to do with like how much capacity you have for socializing with large groups of people versus small groups of people and all that stuff. There's a lot of personal aspect to that as well. Uh, and I just know that I am the kind of person who only really feels comfortable in, like, if, I, if I'm on a forum, I feel fine up to, like, a couple hundred people, uh, like, members on the forum. And then if I'm on Discord, it has to be below 10 active users in a chat. Otherwise, I will not pay attention. You will lose me so fast. <laughs> Um, and it's just to find those communities. Once you find them, like, it's great. You don't have to worry about it anymore. You can just stay there until they implode. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's finding it. That's the hard part. Right, right. Good. Is that it? Yes. Perfect. So you can find the show note for this episode at limitlesspossibility.net slash 200, so 200. You can also find our back catalog of episodes at limitlesspossibility.net. You can find the show on the Fediverse that, that we talked a lot today about by searching for mastodon.social slash at limipo underscore podcast. That's L-I-M-I-P-O underscore podcast. You can also find us individually there too. For me, you can search for mastodon.social slash at luco. That's L-U-C-C-O. And for Yannick, you can search for at sacarina at icosahedron.website. We'll see you in two weeks. See you in two weeks.